1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. See you in hell! <laughs> this private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You're going after Sanchez, aren't you? Are you crazy? Make a sound, and you're dead. No! Your license to kill is revoked. Effective immediately. In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. Problem solved. I'm more of a problem eliminator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and uh, if this was three years ago, this would be Dave Pascarella and myself doing a recording of uh, the next James Bond movie. But over the last few years, the panel has expanded greatly. And improved. So today I am joined by not only David Pascarella, but I'm going to just go through the names quickly. Chris Tyler, Brian Hughes, Scott Gardner, and Jeffrey Vaughn. 
uh, all of my James Bond. I don't know if we're experts or just James Bond lovers. I don't know, you know, yeah, which I'm one an, it would I'm an be, enthusiast. But... I am certainly not an expert. <laughs> and, and I'm not a lover, but yeah, definitely an enthusiast. Oh, mm. come on. Be a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> so we are, we are already saying goodbye to, uh, to Timothy Dalton. Uh, we hardly knew ye. Yeah. We get two movies with him and gone. You know, if it's just you know, you you really thought after the the uh, Roger Moore run that this was going to be, you know, kind of equal to it. You know, I, I was not expecting an On Our Majesty's Secret Service situation. But I, I think, and I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna get into this in more detail. But I think they had the right actor the right idea for how to go with the movie, and in my opinion, uh, what what amounts to a poorly directed movie, and I think that's why it didn't quite do what it should have done, even though it was a, it was a huge moneymaker. I, I don't care for the direction on this movie, and I, again, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on, but I, I feel like the direction did not fit the mood that this movie was supposed to be giving us. Uh, as as with almost every James Bond movie, I saw this in the movie theater. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I remember before it came out, uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly had a whole article about how, you know, Bond is going to be severely injured in this one and near death's door, which is talking about the scene towards the end of the movie. They had a couple of uh, screenshots in that. Uh, and it didn't quite live up to that either. Uh, but, but I still, I still found this to be an enjoyable movie as I do with just about every James Bond movie, but it's yet another case of, I think that they could have done even more with it. Uh, why don't we go around and give everybody, you know, your first impressions when you saw it, how you saw it and what you thought. Uh, so just going to work clockwise on my screen here. Uh, Chris Tyler, you're next on the list. All right. So chances are I probably saw this one once it started being aired on either cable TV or network TV. I don't know. Maybe my father had a bootleg of it. I don't remember at this point. But I remember Living Daylights and this being ones that I saw pretty young. They're probably in the first couple that I saw, if I'm remembering my own history correctly. Um, And... As a kid, was I be nine or ten when this came out? I, you know, I just I got I got sucked into it, and it's uh, and now when I look back on it, it's it is an '80s action movie, so it's kind of speaking my language. I'll probably be praising this one a little more than some other people on the on the panel, but yeah, that's the real real young nine or ten years old when I saw this the first time. Okay, Scott, you're next on the list. Unless you left. He appears to be muted. Oh, yeah, yeah he, I'm he, talking away and the mute button's on. Duh. It's, it's the only thing speaking. <laughs> can you hear me now? Sorry. We can yes, hear you yes. now. All right. So uh, I've been racking my brains all day trying to remember uh, when I first saw this, and I and I really can't. Um, this, according to uh, what I'm looking at here, the movie came out in July of 89 so i was fresh out of the service and i believe by that point i was probably working at saturday matinee which was an early uh video sales uh venue 
and I probably saw it at the at the cinema, but I really have absolutely no memory of doing so, which is odd because I can remember so many other movies that I went to that year. Um, but uh, I have dug this movie. Uh, you know, I dug it right out of the gate for the longest time. This was my favorite Bond movie. Um, we'll we'll talk more about that as we go on. But uh, I hadn't watched it in a long, long time. And I remember the last time I did watch it, whenever that was, um, just feeling kind of differently about it, like it had bumped down on, uh, you know, on my personal scale. But uh, rewatching it again yesterday for the first time in a long, long time, I was really impressed by I think it's aged remarkably well. And it bumped right back up, you know, very high on my list as, you know, as one of my favorites. So, yeah, I, I still dig this one. I think it's pretty cool. We'll, we'll talk more about that as we go on. All right. Next in our circle is David Pascarella, who is muted at the moment and unmuted. <laughs> I, I knew to watch the mute button. Um, this was one of the ones that I intended to go see in the theater. And for whatever reason... I missed it. I didn't get to see this in the theater. But I did rent it and watch it as soon as it came out on, uh, VC, you know, for the VCR. And uh, to be honest, uh, for me, it's, I wasn't that impressed with it the first time I saw it because I never returned to revisit this in all those years since it came out. But having uh, rewatched it, it's a lot higher than I, I originally thought. All right, cool. Jeff, you're next. I think I'll probably be uh, diametrically opposed to Scott. Um, I I can't think of two Bond films that I like least, less than this. Um, <laughs> hmm. uh, I think it is. Obviously, you can think of one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I genuinely love the casting, and that is by far the kindest thing I can say about it. I, I, and I really do like the casting. I love the return of David Hedison as Felix, uh, giving, giving that little element of continuity to it. Uh, when we talked about uh, License to Kill, we talk about, you know, the sets, the set pieces, the... The uh, to me the fact that they don't connect it's just a bunch of hey wouldn't this be cool click put that one in here put this one in there uh, and and that it, it's disappointing from the get go from the theme onward and uh, uh, and 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 a really unfortunate end to what was really promising with with Dalton wanting to get closer to the books. Fair enough. The, and our last panelist is Brian Hughes. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I I went and saw this in the theater. In fact, and I've seen every James Bond movie that's come out since Moonraker in the theater. And um, I remember coming out of this one really, really disappointed. And uh, I put it down there on my list at the bottom with uh, Octopussy, which is also one of my least favorite movies. So I had not watched uh, either of those in over 30 years and watching it again I was really really pleased I really enjoyed it. I mean I just sat down and watched it yesterday and I was just like man this is so much better than I remember it and again I'm looking at it from different eyes 
But at, at the same time, it, you know, it disappointed me so much. I didn't buy Mike Grell's adaption of it and instead bought what I thought was the better James Bond movie that year. And that was Mike Grell's James Bond Permission to Die. And mm. uh, that 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 came out the same year. Uh, and it, of course, is is the formulaic bond, whereas this one right here broke the, the formula. But like I said, well, this one, if I understand correctly, is not based on even loosely on any Fleming. Well, uh, now they, they took part of it from Live and Let Die. And that was what, what happened to Felix came from Live and Let Die. If I remember right, that's yeah, was the line. Yeah, I think that yeah. I, I do think that, that I do think that that's correct, because I've been, I've been listening. To, yeah, I've been listening to the, the Fleming novels uh, over the last year. I haven't gotten very far, but uh, I did. I did get through Live and Let Die and I seem to remember that in, in there. OK, yeah, I, I think from what I read, it's not based on any particular story, but there are a couple of elements that they pulled out of different stories, but the overall, you know, the overall story is, you know, new. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. oh see, but, see, but I'll, see, I'll let you finish. That's a surprise to me because I, I was unaware that there was a story. You know what? I'm going to be somewhere in between you and Scott. I think that might be a little harsh, uh, but uh, Brian, why don't you finish your thoughts? Well, yeah, like I said, you know, I, I didn't like it so much back then that I didn't revisit it. Um, I really, at at that that point, uh, did not care much for uh, Talisa Soto, but I, I did like looking at her. But I didn't much care for her acting. Now, you you've been looking at later. my notes. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and you know what? She, I mean, I have my notes too. I thought she was incredibly wooden. I yeah. thought she acted yes. terribly. She was very pretty, and she mm-hmm. does hail from Brooklyn which is a, a plus as far as I'm concerned. But but she was very, very wooden. When she recites her lines, it sounds like she's reading them off a cue card. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the thing was, I, I, I walked away uh, wondering, uh, in, in my viewing the other day, I was just sitting there going, I had so many different thoughts, and I had to sit there and go search things like, uh, Anthony, did he have a glass eye? It turns out he doesn't, but that's a, a weird thing. But, I mean, it just sit there and it ignited so many different thoughts and, and things in me. I guess we'll get to them as we go along. But uh, I really enjoyed watching it this time uh, a lot more. The bromance didn't seem to be as pronounced as I remember it being when I first saw it. And then the bromance really turned me off. You know, it just seemed like Robert Dobby really wanted to catch James in bed a lot, if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it was... One of the, one, I mean, one of the things about the Robert Davi, the Robert Davi uh, was it Sanchez and Bond relationship is, as as is often the case with movies like this, where they come up with a plot like that, uh, it seemed he he got into the inner circle too quickly. It, it, yeah. Did, oh, yeah. it didn't feel earned yeah. in the story at all. Yeah, Paul, uh, I... So that's that's one of the criticisms I would have of it. My biggest criticism of this movie, quite frankly, is. John Glenn's direction uh, and, and com- combine that with the cinematography for a movie that has 
such dark themes, revenge and drug trafficking and, and you know, evan bad evangelists and things like that. It was directed in a way as if it was to be lighthearted. Uh, and, and the scenes were all brightly lit. Yes. It, it really did not have the, the ominous feeling that it should have. I, I, again, I, I'm not faulting Dalton at all because I thought he brought the gravitas to his performance that he needed to do. And if it had been directed better, I think you really would have had a, a top notch film out of it. Uh, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to criticize it for the mood, like I just said, but I'm also going to criticize it for, uh, you know, what we just mentioned about Talisa Soto's uh, performance. If, if you're the director, you got to see that she sounds terrible and you got to keep back and, you know, do that again, 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 Shelly Duvall her if you have to. Oh man. <laughs> She was the uh, uh, Tiny Roberts of this movie, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, I, <laughs> apparently... I, didn't, I didn't much care for Carrie Lowell back then. I wasn't really impressed with her then. I liked her performance a lot more this time around, definitely. I thought she was fine. I thought, you know, she she's another local She's product, fine, actually, all right. Hunt, Huntington girl. <laughs> but I thought, her, I thought her performance was fine. Uh, you know, uh, Talisa Soto is, is, is a good looking girl. There's nothing wrong with her appearance. It was her performance that was subpar. Yeah, she's a, uh, a Latina Sally Crawford, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's really what she was supposed to be is a Latino Sally, Latina Cindy Crawford. She's not much better in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't see much on either uh, Talisa Soto's or Carrie Lowell's uh you know, list of performances that really stood out to me is, oh, yeah, I remember her and that. There's movies I know, but I don't remember them in them really at all. So and neither one really did anything. For me, Carrie Law is Law and Order. Yeah, I've heard that, but I've never watched Law and she, Order. She's so. sleepless in Seattle. She's the dead wife. And so that's oh, what I always think of when I, when I see. Yeah. Right. Talisa Soto should have played the dead wife. Well, I mean, this, <laughs> see, I thought I was gonna be—I thought I was gonna be the mean one this time. Wow. That was pretty harsh. <laughs> All right, I'm hey, sorry, uh, Paul. I did. Wanna, apparently, I, I did want to say something. Go ahead, Jeff. Um, we were talking about one of the, the first Bond films we saw, and I saw—I I saw Goldfinger at the drive-in with my parents mm. when it was in first release, and it was a double feature with Doctor No. My concise review at the time was Carl Broken. Uh, it's been quoted back to me repeatedly. Uh, and, and, and that's from a writer. Yeah. Yeah. And then since then, since then uh, I saw since Spy Who Loved Me uh, up until the world is not enough. Uh, I saw all of them opening day. In, in the theater, yeah. I've seen. My, the first one I saw was a double feature of You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. Nice. And I think I've only missed one or two in the theater since then. The most recent of which was No Way to Die. But anyway, um, what, do you, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I gave you my take on the kind of the mood of the movie and, and how it was presented. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. If you agree, if you think I'm way off base, you know, what, what do you think? Well, I think that the spotlight that uh, was put on the movie was brought just by the fact that Wayne Newton was in proximity. And that just made everything so bright because he brought all that from Las Vegas with him. Donka Shane, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. 
But you got to admit, though, Wayne Newton's addition into this movie is just kind of like, what the hell is he doing here? Yes. I mean, I, yeah. I, I I understand what he was and what he was supposed to be, but it's still the, the whole time that he's on screen. I'm like, what the hell is he doing here? Are they going to make him do karate? You know, Ugh. he didn't anyway. need to do karate. He was getting people's money. Yes, I know. <laughs> Wayne Newton, at, at the time that this came out, he was bragging about how great his karate was. Didn't he use it in like. Ford Fairlane or one of the other movies that came out around that time. Yeah, I, I think he, I think he did. But he's, he's basically supposed to be kind of an empty vessel and just, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's just a mouthpiece for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, but and yet, and yet, I can't help, you know, to look at it under a modern lens and think Joel Osteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the kind of thing. I mean, he kind of George Reeved it, you know, in, in the fact like. Um, Every time he's on screen, you're like, it's Wayne Newton. It's Wayne Newton. And so it kind of distracted the entire time. And I, I don't know that. I mean, that may be just me because, it, you know, what I knew of him from from years before. And uh, yeah, every time you watch Vegas with, you know, Robert Urich, there was that sign, Wayne Newton. <laughs> but I never I never was impressed with him except for the Dunkishin song. But I like Matt Broderick doing it. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. Paul, I think you're right about the uh, about the mood. Uh, I, I one of my writers' things that I've always maintained is that mood is easier to insult than intelligence. It's much it's a much more fragile thing. And mm-hmm. the movie was directed, and this whether you accept my my notion that it's just a bunch of set pieces thrown together, no matter how silly they were, uh, whether you accept that or not, it's directed like it's a movie of the week. It's lit like it's a movie of the week, and it really has none of the ambiance that the material suggests. Yeah, that's my feeling about it. Perfect. Now, I, I guess I'd, I'd like to turn to Scott because he is the one who's indicated he's most high on the movie, or at least I believe that's the case. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how you see that. No, I, I think you guys make some really uh, interesting points about it because it's something I hadn't really thought of. Um, I was trying to figure out earlier today when I was because I, I have copious notes on this, you know, just different thoughts from rewatching the movie and stuff. And I was trying to ultimately decide, you know, where I, I fall on this movie on the Jaws scale and then why I fall where I'm going to fall on it. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you guys are talking about, because I love the, the this movie because of the darker tone uh, with Bond. I, I really like um, Dalton's take because to me, he's believable as someone who's a trained uh, professional killer. And I never really believed that with the other Bonds. I mean, as likable as they were or, or, you know, dislikable in the role as they may have been, you know, depending on your preference, um, you know, I, I never really bought them, especially like Roger Moore. I just don't kick. I just didn't buy him as an ass kicking, cold blooded killer. And there's parts in this with uh, Dalton where I find him kind of scary, you know, in, in that aspect. I mean, when he when he's determined and he has that look in his eye. You can totally believe. Yeah, this guy'd murder you, you know, he'd, he'd and not and mm. not feel anything. 
And so I like that darker tone. I like the darker bond. I like that it's a darker story. And I really like, I, I, I suspect the thing that I really like that, that Jeff hates is that it's a total departure from from every other kind of bond we've ever gotten. That's the thing I like about it is it breaks formula. He's not on a mission. He's not been sent out by M and, and all of that. This is him going rogue simply to get revenge for his friend who, who can't get it for himself. And I, I like all of that. But there is something somewhere that doesn't quite feel right. And I suspect it's exactly what you're talking about is that it is kind of um, ill lit. It's, it's often too bright. It's a little too um, airy in that regard. And it, and it does lack a certain cinema quality. Um, you know, when I rewatched it, uh, last night, of course, you know, I'm, I'm watching it in the theater room, so I'm seeing it on the big screen and on. I, I couldn't recall if I actually had ever seen it on the big screen, but watching it, there was a lot of the movie where it really struck me that, you know, despite the fact that this is on the, the big screen and it's, you know, it's in widescreen and all that, it didn't feel terribly cinematic. So the criticism that it was shot like a movie of the week, yeah, I can't really defend that. It's it's kind of true. It, it it does kind of lack in that regard. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I can't really argue with what you're saying. I I kind of like the it's movie. It's a bigger just... budget canon film, and and and, and yeah. that's the way it looks. And, and yeah, that's part of the reason why I like it. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can see now. One yeah, of the things when I, when I was. When I, you know, beyond watching it, I do try and look, you know, sometimes I, I, I don't look too far. Sometimes I just look at the Wikipedia page. Sometimes I go beyond it. But one of the things I saw about this is that when they were putting together the script, they were heavily influenced, and that's not my words, uh, by the movie Yojimbo, uh, the Akira Kurosawa mm. movie, okay. which has influenced a lot of movies. The most significant one is A Fistful of Dollars. Uh that was a very complex tale, and I, I've done A Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo on this show, uh, and I actually preferred A Fistful of Dollars. Uh, but anyway, it was a complex tale, and it's about you know a guy who comes into town and, and turns the warring factions against each other and, and you know plays them to his own ends. I didn't see any of that in this movie. Uh, and, and I think, I, I, I don't know exactly how they felt that they were pl really playing that in this i didn't feel this movie oh, come on he he totally sets up um oh what he, he sets up anthony zerby yes, yeah I he understand. sets him but up that's, he also, but that's not he sets up um the the guy that winds up dead on the forklift yeah I think, he puts the yeah. doubt in, in the vegas sense in the vegas sense i absolutely could concede that that's in there a lot, but I think they're probably what they meant by influenced by Yojimbo was probably they watched that instead of writing when they were supposed to. Oh, I, I was going to say they were influenced by Yojimbo because that was a movie and they made one too. It's definitely surface uh, level, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, Yojimbo. And, and again, the fistful of dollars, which is my preferred version of the same story, uh, are very sophisticated in the way he plays them against each other. Uh, this just didn't have that level of sophistication. And I, I wouldn't go as far as agreeing with Jeff that it's just set piece to set piece to set piece. I do think there's connective tissue, but the connective tissue is exactly that. It's tissue, and you could stick your finger yeah. through it real easy if you want. Yeah, Paul, yeah you can. 
I want to I want to agree with Scott though, uh, and and sort of say, I get the, the that it's off the formula thing, and if it had been done what we just talked about, if this had been the Yojimbo James Bond, it would probably be my favorite. So I, I I'm totally not afraid to go off formula with this stuff, but if you're going to do it, it better be good. I'm also going to uh, address one of the things that Scott said. Uh, first of all, I can see. Daniel Craig and, and Sean Connery as the uh, professional killers very easily. Um, I think Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan, uh, they didn't have the scripts that presented them as professional killers. Uh, when we did Fior Eyes Only way back, we talked about the one scene where he pushes the car off the edge. Uh, and you see the dark edge to the Roger Moore bond Amen. when they gave him a script that had it. Yeah. Some teeth. Yeah. But that's, you know, that wasn't what they were doing with Roger Moore. And I love the Roger Moore, James Bond movies. I And, you know, I, I know it's not the most popular thought. I actually really enjoy the Pierce Brosnan ones, too. Yep. Uh, but, I you know, his movies were meant to be more lighthearted. They were trying more for that, you know, the, the little uh, rim shot joke every once in a while. And, uh, you know, he, he was he was a different Bond because he was written to be a different Bond. But I don't think it was a limitation in Roger Moore's acting ability that did it. I think it was a limitation in how he was scripted. So let's let's talk a little bit about the cast. Uh, you know, I you know, I, I, obviously, Timothy Dalton, I think his performance was really carrying this movie, to be totally honest with you, mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't like the direction, because I agree to some significant extent with Jeff's comment about the script, <laughs> the weakness of the script. Uh, and we're going to get to the other people in the movie in a moment, but I really feel like his performance was the best performance in the movie. And it's good that it was because he's the centerpiece of it. Uh, I, I just wish the director had really keyed in on that a little better. It any, was any absolutely the best performance in the movie. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have a problem with him in, in, in either of his appearances. He is, I think he's great in both of them. Yeah. Frankly, I would have really loved to have seen him, uh, you know, as far as scripts go, and we're going to talk about him when we get to those movies, but as far as scripts go, golden eye was by far the best script, uh, for the Pierce Brosnan ones. I would have liked to have seen what, what Dalton would have done with that. Paul, I agree with I agree with that. I would have loved it, it, he would have done great with it. The other thing, you know, it would have had a it would have had a slightly darker feel to it, which wouldn't have bothered me at all. Um, but the same thing I say about what what could we have seen with either Dalton or Pierce Brosnan with a script like Casino Royale? Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, and the problem with that, and again, we're going to talk about these movies. Hopefully, uh, over time, we're going to get to them. The problem with that is they decided to go darker, and then they got to a point of no return with Daniel Craig. Uh, but, you know, we're going to get that. We'll get to that in, you know, who knows how long. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I really do feel that this was a, a lost chance here because I think Dalton made a very good bond, and I really think he should have been given more time to, to, to show us the character that he would, you know, become. Uh I don't. I think people were too used to Roger Moore at that point. The you know the way his his character was presented, uh, and they didn't. They weren't ready to accept a lighthearted Bond. I mean a, a darker Bond rather. 
You, you know what bothered me about this is the movie has a very dark edge. You're dealing with drug dealing, drug trafficking. What they did to Felix, who's, you know, a character that's been around since the beginning. And then you have it, you know, at the end, the business with the trucks, which is completely over the top and just ridiculous. It makes the bird doing the double take, you know, like, <laughs> like high heart. I mean, he pops a wheelie with an 18 wheel. Come on. Oh, it's like Smokey and the it. Bandit was a documentary compared to this. It's, <laughs> That's not sure, it's not it, Sheriff Pepper. And that might have improved the picture. I mean, the cop that doesn't know between a, a shark attack and a chainsaw from Florida. Just a, <sighs> but but the, it, it's the contrast of the darkness with the ridiculousness at the end. And, and Wayne Newton, it just, I think the character would have worked just not with Wayne Newton being it, you know? Just she, picture the same thing again. Picture that character played by Joel Osteen. I'd rather not. <laughs> that would be, you know what, fine. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's Wayne I, Newton. I think it's, I think, I think Wayne Newton is, is a persona. And that's, it was inescapable at that point. One of the things I admire, this is way off topic, but one of the things I admire about Tom Cruise is this guy is, this guy in his private life is a caricature. But when he's on the screen, he's whatever character he is to me. I find that very impressive considering all the baggy things. Hey, Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm with you, Scott. I only ever see Tom Cruise when I see Tom Cruise. I generally don't see Tom Cruise because I, don't really watch his movies. Well, yeah, yeah. That that well, too. aside from a, a few good men and uh, the interview with the vampire, he's always played the same guy. A few, I think a few yeah. good men is probably the only movie that I would have multiple viewings, uh, and that's because it's an ensemble. Well, you guys, piece. you yeah. guys should probably. I, mean, I get that you could be down on him, but you guys should see the one where he plays the young cocky guy who gets the girl in the end. <laughs> <laughs> All the right moves. I. Uh... <laughs> I have, I have a question for you guys. Now, one one of the things that really elevates this movie for me, you know, uh, along with the thing of it being, you know, uh, you know, kind of breaking the mold and and you know, being the revenge story instead of a mission for Bond type of thing, is I also uh, really strongly feel with this one that they were looking at their competition and and what what was popular at the time the other kinds of action movies that emerged in the 80s and they were trying to compete head to head with them but also you know without outright ripping anybody off they were actually borrowing a lot from those other uh tropes and those other kinds of films and that's one of the things i really like about this movie I'm, I don't want this to sound insulting, but I want you guys to really think about this. Do you, do you think part of your issue with this movie is that you're bringing a lot of Bond baggage to this movie in, instead of just kind of taking this one as, as you know by itself? Because when I would have watched this, I would have had a very passing familiarity with Bond. It was one of those things where I knew I had seen Bond movies as a kid, but 
I didn't have like clear memories of any of them. It was like, yeah, I saw one of them. I couldn't tell you what the name of it was type of thing. So watching this, I wasn't as invested in, in his lore and his world and everything. So I just kind of took the movie, you know, at face value for what it is. And I think that's the way to enjoy this one is to just enjoy it as, as this one-off adventure without all that bond baggage. Cause I, you know, the things that really work for me with this is that I see it as it's a little bit die hard. It's a little bit Scarface. It's a little bit Raiders of the Lost Ark with the truck fight and all that. And then at the end with the, you know, the way the truck fight ends, it's a little bit road, road warrior all kind of rolled into one. Cause I think it's borrowing elements from all of those movies. Yeah, and it, it that that's the thing is. that works for me. I mean, what, what do you See, guys I, think? I think? I think you make a fair point, Scott, but I also disagree with it. Um, I don't I don't disagree with you saying that it's rolling these things into one, but I don't think my problem with the movie is my bond uh, expectations because I'm perfectly fine with them subverting my expectations and I'm fine with them going with a much darker bond here, which is where I think Timothy Dalton was going with it. Again, I, my biggest problem is that I felt that the script felt a little meandering at times and that the director had no clue that this was supposed to be a darker movie. Uh, you know, and, and he didn't present it that way. And that's that's my problem. If he had pres if he had done this as a darker movie, I think this would wouldn't, you know, start notching up the scale for me. Uh, Paul, I, I, mean, I agree. With, I agree with that. I think that you've got uh, a really good point with the, the darker material. I think you're I think you're being too kind to the script. I think the story was darker. I think the script reads like you're average bond movie just average no you're right I'm, I'm using script and story interchangeably and i shouldn't be yeah you're, you're absolutely right about that i think some but, of the dialogue could have been listen uh, all of all of scott's points are, are are really first off really well made scott and secondly thank you they at least give you they at least give you pause in the end i reject it because i was so enamored with what dalton said when he got the role about going toward the books and even with some of the silly stuff in living daylights i saw it i saw it moving that way this story going darker was totally in keeping with what he had said and i think he's betrayed by the script which yeah you blame the writers absolutely but you got to blame the producers too because they're There's the ones something... they're, they're the ones who accepted it there's something really weird in that, though, because this this movie stinks of Die Hard East. In that number one, you've got both Robert Dobby and Grand Bush in it, who were both Agent Johnsons in Die Hard. You have Michael Kamen, <laughs> yeah. who did the soundtrack for Die Hard. And, it you know, it's just like, yeah. again, it, this one had as much, if not more, gun fighting in it. Uh, than I'd seen in a Bond film. You know, I mean, most, most gunfights in a Bond film were very short and brief up to this point, it seemed. Unless it was uh, Timothy, and I'm, I'm sorry, um, what's his name doing in, in View to a Kill, just machine gunning everybody down. Uh, well, but, I mean, you got you to gotta, you gotta include Spy Who Loved Me, the, the scene inside the, the super tanker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, yeah, the same with you only live twice when when the, you do the the big army battle at the end in, in yeah. the hideouts. 
Yeah, but I mean, up to this point, it'd been it'd been kind of light as far as gun battling go, and then here's this one, and I, I mean, it, it's funny because just like three years later, I think it's three years or four years later, Arnold would have a similar thing on in the Florida Keys with one of those trucks, and it was so much more compelling than in this one. True lies. True lies. True lies. Yeah. It could, that's, what, that's exactly what I started thinking of when I saw that whole sequence in the keys, and then he drove off. Hmm. I didn't hadn't thought of comparing it to True Lies, even though True Lies is clearly uh, a love letter to James Bond in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I, I I have to say, as much as there's a lot of positives in this, I like True Lies much much better. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about some of the casting. We you know we talked about Timothy Dalton, uh, Robert Davi. I think he was. I think he should have. I think the script should have allowed him to be darker and more menacing than he was. He was you know he's shown as a killer, but you know, I, I just felt he could have been more scary. I think his acting chops would carry that if if he had been given a little bit more. Uh, the funny thing is. My my recent familiarity with Robert Davi is probably about four years ago. Uh, he gave a you know one of the free concerts at Eisenhower Park that they do during the summer, and it was Davi sing Sinatra, and it was just him singing Sinatra songs, and he was excellent. Well, so that's that's my my well, recent I, familiarity listen, I, with him. I, I think Robert Davi, whether you saw him on uh, uh, a recurring role on Stargate Atlantis. Uh, or on uh, what was it called, Profiler? Uh, I think uh, it I think, totally back, right. I think it totally uh, backs up your notion uh, of his having the acting chops if he's given the material. But he, it's funny because he actually spent time with the drug dealers down there, and they absolutely loved his performance after hmm. the fact. They they really liked what he did. But yeah, I'm prepping for the role. He. He spent some time with those guys, so I don't know if he was just trying not to parody them, parody them too much, or make them look too dark. I don't know, but I, th- I thought that that his performance was actually interesting, you know, menacing, not necessarily too over the top, and I was glad for that. I did like his one-liners because he was like the anti-Bond as far as one-liners went. Especially that's probably what they were trying to do with him. Yeah. They, they were probably trying to make him into an anti-Bond, but I think, like I said, I think he could have been even more scary than he was if they had given him the material to do that. But, uh, but just an know, interesting that's, that's, side point. He's, he's scary in the fact that he knows he doesn't actually have to lift a finger because he's got everybody else loyal to him, and all he has to do is pay them. He doesn't have to get his hands dirty. He right, he's a hands-off kind of guy. Yeah. He's hands-off. I, I give the orders. Take care of it. Cut his heart yeah. out. An interesting side point that I read when I was looking things up on it is that uh, he is apparently responsible for the casting of Talisa Soto. Uh, mm-hmm. I read that, that too. He, he was there during the screenplays, and he said something to the effect of he would he would kill for her. Uh, so that that's why they cast her. Well. And then when he saw her performance, Pecker, he slapped his fire. <laughs> now, now, who's responsible for the casting of Benicio Del Toro? Because I get the feeling that he got cast, but they've expanded the role even more because of, of how he was doing it. 
Well, I thought he was one of the positives in the movie. I did. Yeah. I did like his performance, and I did feel he was just like a, like a, just a little crazy. <laughs> so yeah. they, like you like, and, and that made him more scary. Um, and you know, this was before he was a name, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He was I, the first thing I think. The first thing I think old. that I remember ever seeing him in was uh, Usual Suspects. Yes, I think that's where a lot of us saw him for the first time, or noticed yeah. him anyway. So, you know, we commented on the on the two Bond women in this, but there is kind of a third. Uh, Felix's short-lived wife. She lives, made me very uncomfortable. I'm sorry. She, she, she lives almost, almost as long as Teresa Bond. Uh, mm. but I, I thought it was strange to cast Priscilla Barnes in it because she would have been well known at this time or she was well known yeah. at this time for having Three's been company. in Three's Company yeah. uh, and I think you, you would have been much better off having an unknown in that part yeah I don't think she was bad but I can I could agree with that I, I had no problem with her performance but I kept looking at her and thinking, okay, she's the, the you know, actually she wasn't the ditzy one, but she's one of the, the women from Three's Company. Yeah. Like, you know, she was just too recognizable. She was the last one. <laughs> yes. The way she was written, it just made me uncomfortable that she was so flirty and whatever with Bond. I don't know. I just found that... Uh, I don't know, disturbing. Yeah, it's a little weird, a little off-putting. Well, she, I mean, if that, little... if if that was your wife, would you be like a little annoyed about that? Uh... Yeah, she uh, she was she was a yeah. little flirty, and and she was you know like the oh we love you James, but she, she you never felt like that was earned. You never felt like there was that chemistry there. That that they had any kind of like real relationship. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I didn't have a problem with her performance again. I just think, you know, she was such a peripheral character that, that to make her be as integral as she was to a relationship with James didn't feel right. It should have just been, you know, her, her relationship with Felix, which brings me to Felix. 16 years after Live and Let Die, he comes on this one. He is either my second or third favorite uh, Felix Leiter. Wow. I'm not sure. Wow. Okay. I, I This is where I got to jump in because I didn't realize until reading the Wikipedia on this today that this guy was coming back to the role. And I respect that greatly. I really do. But one of the very few negative notes I've got is that, for one thing, this guy looks like Wink Martindale and Regis Philbin had a baby <laughs> together. Uh, but he's... I, I gotta be honest, he's shit. He really is terrible in this. And one of the things that one of, one of the real criticisms, and I can't ignore it, is that um, you know, as much as I really dig this movie, it kind of ends with a thud at the end. And I think one of the reasons it does is that after everything that James goes through. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's whipped at the end of it. He's like Indiana Jones, you know, because typically Bond comes out unscathed. You know, he's he's in his suit or his tuxedo and there's not a scratch on him. And this one, he's beat the shit at the end of the movie. And I like that. But then we pick up a, a short while later and, and he's talking to Felix on the phone and Felix is all. Hey, let's get together and go fishing next weekend. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 
it's tonally terrible. Yeah. He, he should be... He, he David should Hedison didn't that. write that. <laughs> he should be playing that very sullen, and I, I think it would be so much better if he would just, like, quietly thank James, you know, for, for what he did and what he went through to uh, avenge what happened to him and avenge the death of his wife. And so the tone is all off. And I mean, maybe yeah, that's I don't, the way I don't this blame the was... actors for the script being tone deaf. Right. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of the problem. And I have just... to admit, a lot of my uh, fondness for him as Felix Leiter is based on Live and Let Die. Right. And see, I don't have any connection to that. I didn't even remember that he was Felix prior. So, um, but, and, and you're right. I mean, it may have nothing to do with, with the actor. If, if, if he's playing it the way he's been directed and the way it's been written and all, but it just, I don't know. He just, how, he how doesn't do you say work. we're going to go, we're going to go fishing next week and be dark about it. Right. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally, literally, uh, all the criticism of that scene should be aimed at the writer and director. The actor actor didn't come in and say, let me make that up. The only thing I can blame Hedison for is when they did a table read of it, he should have said, this is fucking stupid. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. The question is, the question is just like any other actor, just like any other member of the crew, how, and if you're not the star, how much do you need to work? Right. Uh, but I but I mean, even earlier in the movie, the scenes that they have together, um, for example, when they're when they're going in on the actual raid there, there's a part where, you know, James puts himself in harm's way and Felix hollers to him from across the field. And he says something like, hey, observer, are you trying to get yourself? And just the way he says it, I can totally hear it as Regis Philbin. Like, on, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, dude, it's like, you know, I mean, I granted, if that's if that's the guy, the way he looks and he talks and he's all happy and smiley and all that's great. But that shouldn't be who you cast to be uh, a hard as nails drug enforcement agent. You know, he just comes off as a game show host. I'm ready to forgive that scene much more so in both the acting and the script, because I think for him. This is a fun thing. He he loves going out and, on these things and doing it. You know, it's he he's so excited about it that he's willing to delay his wedding for it. So I, I you know that kind of meshes with me. But I totally agree with you that you know after his legs have been eaten and his wife was killed, he probably shouldn't be so anxious to go on a fishing outing. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe yeah. she was sleeping around on him and he was kind of glad to be out of that mess. Oh. I, I'll defend yeah. her as well. Um, I, you know, see, I don't have any connection to, to Three's company, and and uh, I knew her name, and I was trying to remember where I knew her name from, and I never did place her with with that. I Mall guess rats. that must have been where I knew it. Yeah, she had three, but, three, three boobs um, and mole rats, three nipples. Yeah. See, I, three nipples, yeah. I think those scenes in the beginning, you know, with the wedding and everything, um, are trying to establish. A, a relationship between the three of them with, with her and Felix and James and showing that, you know, not only are Felix and James, you know, good friends and everything, but that she's part of, of that circle, you know, part of that family. And yeah. that's what makes, you know, that's cause that's going to drive the story. And I feel a, a, a genuine emotion in the scene where, 
James comes back to their house, bungalow, whatever it is, and, and finds her dead. That moment, you can tell he's deeply affected by that. And my my only criticism of that is that uh, there was something I was reading in the the wiki on this. Somebody, and I, I failed to note who it was, but somebody was quoted as saying, um, the obsession with which Bond pursues Sanchez on behalf of Leiter and his dead wife is seen as being because of, of his own brutally cut short marriage. And I just, I get that, and I know it's referenced briefly, but I really wish they'd played that up more, because I think that's important for you to understand that, yes, he's affected by her death, he cared for her as a friend and as, you know, Felix's love and all that, but also there's the deeper thing of he's reliving this pain of his own and and now this time he has an opportunity to do something about it and so i do think there's a bit of missed opportunity there um but i yes. you know you know what this should have been there should have been a scene at the wedding or at the post-wedding party or whatever it was where james was off brooding and that and Felix comes over to him and starts saying, you know, what's the matter? You know, what's going on in your head, whatever. And and you get a little little dialogue about how he's, you know, re reliving his own marriage and how, how it ended well, they, so yeah, uncomfortably and all of that. They kind of did that. They kind no, of they did didn't because they just they just said, oh, he doesn't want he doesn't want to catch the 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 bouquet that was yeah. that was so such a cheap way of doing the same thing but the scene that i'm talking about which they didn't do would have right. also given you that camaraderie between him and felix that you needed to see a little bit more of that it was a deep friendship not it, just a, a, a you know something where they go on missions together absolutely you could have done you could have done something something really simple in a scene it would take in like a page of script which means a minute on film or less right uh, you could have done something where Felix notices that Bond's wearing his wedding ring, something he doesn't do. And maybe Bond fidgets with it for a minute and said one one line aside. So you're talking half a page of script here and you get all the resonance that you're just talking about. Yeah. And then that, that would, you know, he, he could even say something to, to, you know, Felix just, you know, about, you know, wishing him a long and happy life that he was denied yes. or something like that. And then when when she's found dead you you know you then you feel it more his performance shows it but the script doesn't again we get into we get into where the story's there but the script isn't so mm -hmm. moving on the uh the actor another actor i thought was fairly well cast was everett mcgill as ed killifer the the traitor who uh who double crosses them for the $2 million because I felt he was appropriately slimy and distasteful. And yet you didn't necessarily see the turn right away because he kind of played it off about being insulted about offering being offered the money. I thought that actually played well. And I thought he, he fit the character. Well, mm -hmm. I, I agree. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'll always know him as the uh, werewolf priest from Silver Bullet. <laughs> oh, shit. That's why I'm sitting there racking my brain. I'm like, where have I seen him before? Oh, man. That's the only other thing I know him from. Yeah, he I don't know him also, from anything else. He is the rogue oh. NSA agent in My Fellow Americans with James Gardner and uh, Jack Lemmon. He's the jerk major in Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge. Oh, yes, yes. You okay, that I remember him in. Yeah. Good call. And he, that just makes you hate him. 
You want to see something scary? Look up his uh, his Wikipedia picture these days. He's he's not aged well. Well, can you tell? Uh, some some people would say that about us. Yeah. Well, yes, this is true. My wife being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have uh, Anthony Zerby. Always. I great. always enjoy him this for some reason. Poor I don't son know of a why. bitch. <laughs> He he can't catch a break because he he died almost exactly the same way when he was Admiral Dougherty in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I and I, I remember him. If I'm remembering right, he was in uh, True Grit, I believe. Oh, you can't forget. You can't forget. Kiss meets the Phantom. <laughs> yes, I can. He was in the Omega Man. He played the. He was, uh, absolutely, yep. he was in the Omega Man. He was also in the uh, uh, one of the seasons of Harry O. With uh, oh, with the uh, the future David Jansen. He was the he was the father of the little boy that Johnny tutors in the Dead Zone when uh, he oh, goes. Yeah. The ice is gonna break. Yeah, he was the he was the father. <laughs> absolutely. There's, there's something about his the way he carries himself. Where even when he plays a guy who is heroic, uh, you think there's some sort of, you know, some sort of evil underneath there somewhere. <laughs> so I, I really like the way yeah. he carries himself in general in movies. I, I, I enjoy him uh, as an actor, and I, I thought he was perfect in this as well. Yeah, I was saying earlier, you know, that I, I thought that he had a glass eye after watching this one just because of the way it was. But what this it turned out was, eye. well, no, he when he was a very young actor, uh, he was doing a stage play and he was standing on the shoulders of another actor and they fell. He and he wound up in a hospital in a coma for three days Jesus. and the muscle damage around the eye was so bad, you know, that that he just liked that. And he went from being a leading man to more of a character actor. As a result, the other, the other, only other actor I have noted on my page, or well, I had Wayne Newton, but we already talked about him, uh, is uh, Frank McRae, who plays kind of the sidekick, <laughs> the big dude. Uh, yeah, I love. He was kind of. I thought he was kind of wasted a little in this too. I think he, you yeah. could have given him a little bit more spotlight and made him a little bit more of an imposing character. He felt like he was there more for comic relief. Him? Why did they have to kill him? That was that was the. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's all these deaths in there. That was one that didn't have to happen. And that, that was that was that, that. Even watching it yesterday, I was just like, yeah, why did they have to kill him? I think I think that was just to give Bond even more reason to to be out for revenge, but. Uh, you know, uh, eh. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to see him take a fire hose to some nuns like he did in used cars. I love that. <laughs> Test drive for Toby. Now, I talked earlier about Grand Bush. That you, is the uh, best porn name in the world, by the way. <laughs> uh, now, He's the one that was also in Die Hard with Robert Davi, and he's yes, you know, right. been in so so many movies. Oh, yeah. And of course, he actually was someone that that set set there eye to eye with Bond, almost like he he looked at him as just a peer, and you know he did never back away from him. That was the one thing I liked, but they just didn't use him enough in the movie. But that's you know I I think that's I think that's actually fairly well played uh, mm -hmm. because that's the way 
that's the way it should be. These guys shouldn't all be in awe of Bond. They, you know, he, he's a secret agent. His, his exploits shouldn't be well known to everybody. <laughs> true, true, true. So, so you know, he should look at him as being an equal. Uh, you know, may, maybe you you hold him in higher esteem because Felix Leiter, who you work with, holds him in higher esteem. But you know, you you wouldn't have the actual. You know, it's not like oh, I saw all your movies, Mister Bond. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Ah, uh, but anybody uh, else yeah. in the cast that stood out to you that we haven't talked about? Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh man. Uncle this is the one where he actually he actually made money. He'd never made money playing Q really oh, yeah. up until this one because he got so much more to do. Yeah, he's having fun. I I, I like him in this a lot. But then again, it's always nice to see him. But <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> oh, the thing is, I, I just always enjoyed when he you know when he did his walk-ons. Uh, not a lot of gadgets that really made a difference in this movie because the the big gadget is the cigarette lighter, which he didn't even give them. True. True. Right. You and know, that, it that is... gun that was palm printed or, or hand printed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I they had to put him in there I to get, you know, I to have the. Wrong, but I think that was science fiction at the time, and that's since become a, a real thing. There are actually yeah. are weapons like that today, but I, at the time, I think that was, you know, that was, that was either science fiction or it was not. Uh, you know, not commonplace type of thing. It wasn't something you could go to the gun store and buy type of thing. Yeah. I don't know if you could just go to the gun store and buy it. <laughs> I know they, make, they can make them. He definitely looked like he was having a lot of fun with the role. Yeah. Especially, That's the thing about Q is even when his part doesn't fit the overarching theme of the movie, you know, again, we're talking about a dark movie and then you have Q in there with a much lighter scene. Even when it doesn't fit, he's always welcome in these movies. There's never a cue scene where I start saying, "Oh, why are they doing this?" So I, I, you know, I always enjoyed from the start. Every every time he appears, to some extent, he brings a smile to my face. By just by his longevity, he's the glue. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a new M at this point, and you know, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, this was the last appearance uh, for Robert Robert Brown as M, and I mm-hmm. failed to make note of her name. But the the money penny that they had in these two movies, this was the last time for her too. She was only Caroline in, Bliss. Yeah, yeah, she was only in the the prior movie and this movie, and then they replaced her. Uh, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was going to say the one person that uh, that we hadn't talked about, and I didn't think anyone was going to bring him up, was Tony Stark. Yeah, uh, his, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Stark, who was that, the uh, Jimmy? accountant guy. Yeah, 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 Jimmy from Seinfeld. The thing is, all these years until I watched it again yesterday, I thought it was the guy that played Pee Wee in the Porky's movies. Oh God, <laughs> it does bear a passing that, yeah. resemblance. <laughs> And then I realized, oh, no, that's Jimmy. Jimmy talks about himself in the third person. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he was in an episode of The Flash the following year, the the, C, the CBS series of the 90s that went that one season. Mm-hmm. He was in one episode of that. I was curious why Diana, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, Diana Lee Sue, I'm assuming is how it's pronounced, the uh the um yakuza chick that that gets shot mm-hmm. she's 
in the the opening credits i think she's most of the opening credits with the dancing and everything and i just was like why i didn't quite get that hmm. why, got why might, might as well use her i don't know so, it's I, a well, very I good guess, question and it's just, one that i cannot answer it's a <laughs> i just thought it was kind of odd you know was this was this was this movie really that early in Carrie Tagawa's career? Yeah, it. he had a couple of appearances and a couple of features before this, and certainly some TV roles, but it, it's way before he's uh, successful. It's Shane Sung. I'm I mean, glad, come on. I'm glad I looked got... him up, because every time I see this, I, I'm always looking at him going, damn, I know this dude from something. I never, ever would have figured it out if I hadn't looked at his um, IMDb. He was the bailiff at... What's that? He was Kebai Sang in The Phantom. I'll always remember him in that. I I still have not watched The Phantom, believe it or not. I still have not seen that. I need to watch that, yeah. But he he was the bailiff at Picard's trial in uh, Encounter at Farpoint when when Q is the judge. And I mean, I never would have figured that out. As soon as, as, soon as I read that, I'm like, of course, now I can picture him, and that's where I was picturing uh, him from, yeah. but I never would have figured it out. So I didn't even realize he was in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. As his first role, <laughs> he was an extra and uncredited. Yeah, just just as a, to, to pull back for a second, Anthony Stark, uh, when I first saw him in this, I, I got a distinct vibe of David Patrick Kelly, who you would know as the guy who says, Warriors, come out and play. Yeah, and uh, the guy that also gets dropped by Arnold. And right. Kano. Yes. But that's, that's actually uh, the first thought that came to mind before Jimmy. But eventually I got to Jimmy. <laughs> We have uh, Pedro Armanderes as President Hector Lopez. Uh, I know actually more familiarity with his father, who uh, was in several John Wayne movies, including The Three Godfathers, which is the precursor to Three Men and a Baby. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, I got to go ahead. Sorry. That was a a more serious Western version of that storyline. But that's. that's it as far as the cast goes for me, like I said, unless you guys have anything else. Well, there, there's one here that's just hilarious, and that is um, one of the guards in that warehouse where Bond throws the guy in with the uh, maggots and everything is mm-hmm. the guy that played the thing in the the, the, the Corman Fantastic Four movie. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's funny. Yeah, and he was also Tony Dogs in uh, Casino. I would have never come that's up with Car- Carmen reference. No, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, leaving the cast, I just uh, want to talk about the music a little bit. Uh, License to Kill by Gladys Knight, not one of her most memorable performances. Uh, not one of, not one of the more memorable Bond themes. Yeah, and as we shared among us before we started recording brian found the eric clapton song that was originally going to be in this movie 
which I find interesting. But what did you guys think of the? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out as a dual question: the theme song and the overall score in the movie. Um, the Man. theme song I I think is incredibly bland, and I mean after Living Daylights by Aha, which in my opinion is one of the best uh, Bond movie songs. You know, this following it up being the next film, it's it's a it's a pretty far letdown. So yeah, I I don't care for any of the uh, you know the songs in the movie. This is one of those annoying soundtracks to me because, mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge, and believe me, I have sources. I've been all over trying to find an expanded, an extended, or a complete score for this movie, and I cannot find one, even as a bootleg. All that seems to exist is the commercial commercial release, and the commercial release is one of those frustrating ones where about half of the album is the shitty rock tunes that are in the movie. And then the, you know they, they kind of grudgingly give you a little bit of the score. Um, I think the score is fantastic for this. I mean, come on, it's Michael Kamen. And uh, um, that guy was awesome. And this is not long after Die Hard. And while they don't sound similar, they sound similar, if you know what I mean. It's, I, it's, I thought know, they very much sounded similar. Yeah. And I can hear the the Caymanness in the music, <laughs> yes. in the incidental music all through the the movie. Uh, the the thing is, is that when he gets to those instrumental pieces that are the the classic Bond themes, that's where the ball got dropped because it'd start off this big orchestral thing, and then all of a sudden it would just taper off when it's supposed to be really kicking off, and it sounds like you got three guys on on synthesizers playing it. It it just really was underwhelming in that and it, it took away from my enjoyment of the movie i don't know I, I i completely disagree i think when you know i think he used the bond uh theme a little sparingly and i i think that kind of works you know to the strength of the film because then when it does actually come out i i think it's actually pretty strong especially in the in the instances with uh with the tractor trailer stuff near the end of the movie, um, you know, that's really when the bond themes used a lot. And, and I love those moments. I, I think it really works well. Um, I think also that, the, that, um, uh, the water skiing scene. That was fun. But I, I just, I think that I am, I am, I'm, I'm hurt too much by the modern day themes that have come out since that, you know, this one's a product of its time. And, you know, Michael Kamen was doing what he did at the time, and he does a great job with it. With He does a great job in everything he's done since. I just think that because I, I'm, I'm prejudiced because there's so many so much more new stuff that's come out that has taken those themes and turned them into great orchestral pieces that I really, really enjoy to listen to. And this is one I don't. I, I kind of felt that it was in my untrained ear very similar to what we got in Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. It's good, but it didn't stand out as being unique in any way to me. Uh, you know, the Bond stuff, the actual Bond themes, uh, you know, they were handled okay. They were fine. I didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, but there was, I, I don't know, maybe if I listened to this and focused on it without the movie, maybe I'd think more highly of it. But I thought, to me, it felt average for the day is the way I would describe it. 
I think I'm think right there. Really I'm right show. there with you, Paul. The 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 opening title is a snoozer, and and I like Cayman stuff a lot too. But I'm not. I'm racking my brain trying to think of any cues here, and I can't. So I I also did not really care for uh, the closing credits with "If you asked me to." Did, did yeah. and didn't for me. and didn't that chart? Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a top ten, top ten R and B song apparently. Utterly forgettable. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I never was a fan of Patti LaBelle. Me. She's not a fan of you either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hurt. I'm so hurt. So before we get to our uh, ratings on this, does anybody have any uh, other things that we haven't discussed yet that you want to hit on? Um, a couple of things of- here. Um. <laughs> I was excited to find out. Evidently, there's an uncut version of this that was released on the. It says here the 2006 Ultimate Edition DVD is the uncut version. Yeah, I'd like to see that because apparently they cut some violence out of it to to bring it down to a a PG-13 rating. So I'd really like to see what the stuff was that got that got cut out of it because evidently the the death of or whatever the guy's name, I can't think of his name. Now, Zerby's character um, was even more brutal than what yeah. we saw, oh, and that was pretty brutal as it was, you know, in the in the theatrical release. So, I, I just felt like we kind of jumped right into the negatives on this. Um, I, I guess I'm outnumbered on this one, but I really dig this movie. I, I just wanted to uh, cover well, some of the things I, I like the the best about it. I, I again, I really like that it breaks formula. That that to me is its is its big strength on this, and that's the thing that really captured my attention from this with this movie right out of the gate was that it's so different from all of the other ones. Um, in that he's not on a mission. He's he's out. He's doing his own thing. He's going rogue. I love the scene um, at the Hemingway house where uh, you know he's, <laughs> he's cornered by the by the you know his fellow agents and brought before M. I, I love that whole scene is great and you know when him going rogue and everything I, I think that's really cool and I, I think I have it's a question about that. that I have a question about that so uh-huh. Bond jumps off the terrace and rolls away and the guy's shooting and then M stops the guy from shooting saying too many witnesses like it was that was that his real motivation or was he actually trying no, to save double he's, he's really he trying to save double he doesn't want to shoot oh yeah yeah he's he's rooting for him even though he can't you know officially, officially root for him yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of like what uh what uh judy dench's character does later in some of the yeah. later films with with daniel craig you know she's I, actually on you. his side even though she seems like she's you know totally down on him she's actually on his side and i like that I like that, you know, for all its formula breaking and everything, it still manages to work in a huge secret villain lair that blows up. I think that's really clever. <laughs> and in this one, it actually makes sense because, you know, it's it's this big, you know, gaudy, elaborate hoax, you know, cult temple thing that they're using as as part of their drug operations. So it's not some ridiculous volcano layer that makes no sense for them to be operating out of it actually <laughs> makes sense in the story and they make a I, point I, to say that it costs 36 million dollars and it's like well <laughs> a 
course the money guy's going to care about that. Right. Um, I like the setting of the movie. I like that this one's out of the UK. It's, it, you know, there's only a little bit of globe hopping, which, you know, typically that that's one of the big strengths of a Bond movie is you're jumping all over the place. And, and it's very Indiana Jones in that aspect. This one's pretty much, you know, Florida, Mexico, and that and that's it. And, you know, living in Florida and having a soft spot for Florida, I think that's kind of cool. It's It's fun to see Bond operating in Florida. I just think, you know, that's really cool. Um, again, the tractor trailer stuff at the end, I think this one's got one of the coolest endings. I just, I love that fight on the tractor trailer. It's very, uh, Indiana Jones. And I, you know, I dig that. I, I, I love the, you know, hanging on, you know, any movie with hanging off vehicles and almost falling into the wheels and all that, you know, Indiana Jones, uh, 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 road warrior, you know, I love that stuff. And I think it's done really well here. It, it made like, me think of Face Off a little bit uh, in, in, in those last scenes because here's Bond climbing all over the gasoline truck and there's the guy sitting there shooting at him with an Uzi. And I just keep thinking John Travolta sitting there saying, please do not shoot at the nuclear weapon missile. But in this case, <laughs> uh, the gas broken, filled truck. Broken Arrow. Yeah, Broken Arrow. What, what did I say? Face Off? Yeah, I, I oh, kept waiting for somebody in. to say that, you know, stop shooting. It's full of, you know, explosive. But nobody ever did. I thought that was kind of odd that, that nobody ever tries to stop the people that are that are shooting at this gas truck. <laughs> and he's just shooting I, all yeah. around him. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, lastly, I just I love uh you know, Bond at the end of this movie is just, he's a mess. I mean, he's all tore up, tattered up. He's dirty. He's bloody. You know, he can barely keep his feet. He's completely whipped. And I like that. That's not how we typically see Bond in his movies. And I like that it it humanizes him a lot and it really shows everything he went through. So it's a very, again, it's very, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, it's very John McClane. And I like that. It, it shows me that they were paying attention to, uh, you know, the other action movies that were out there and, and trying to bring themselves more in line with that. You know, did they succeed a hundred percent? Not, not necessarily, but they're also still being true you know, to what their thing is, you know, so they're not just aping somebody else. They're, they're bringing those elements in and maybe, you know, trying to update bond a little bit and make him, you know, contemporary with those other guys without losing the unique James Bondness. that, I mean, that's a tough act to, to pull off because you don't want to piss off the purists, but you also want to try to pull in that, that new crowd and keep bond, you know, fresh and exciting. And, so I respect what they were going for. For me, it worked because I didn't have all that that bond baggage and everything. And so that's one of the reasons this this movie still rates pretty high for me. I, I see what they're going for, and for me, it really worked. Oh, fair enough. All right, so why don't we go around? I guess we'll we'll I'll do my clockwise again, then uh, we'll give our ratings on it. So we start with. Uh, Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. Um, I, I'm going to give it a Jaws 3, and it's only because there are so many other 
Bond movies that I like, but I really do enjoy watching this one because it's one of the first ones I've seen. I like the 80s-ness of it. I like the action in it. Yeah, story isn't the most well put together, but I have a good time watching this one. It's 15 minutes too long, let's let's be honest. Um, you chop 15 minutes out and you get a much leaner film going. I guess you had to squeeze Wayne Newton in there, but I, I don't have a problem with him showing up. Um, but I, I have no problem throwing this one on and watching it and enjoying it. There there are other Bond films that are that I will not rewatch. <laughs> and uh this one I will. So yeah, sol- a solid Jaws three. Okay. Scott, you're up. Uh for me this is a very solid Jaws two. Um, it's, I, I like, uh, Dalton's first outing, uh, still a lot better than I like this one. Um, this one has its issues, uh, you know, going, going by my personal criteria of what rates, a you know, a, a, a jaws. Um, one of the big ones is, you know, quotability. Does it have, you know, some, some standout lines of dialogue, something you'd find yourself, you know, quoting a lot. And I can't think of any line really that uh, that really stands out in the whole movie and you know also an outstanding score i think it's a solid score i really like Cayman and i really like what he did here but yeah, it's not really an outstanding bond score either and part of that may, may be again exacerbated by the fact that you know the commercial release of the of the score sucks so you you know i i can't get like a solid listen to it away from the film. And that might change my opinion of it if I, if I could, Um, but just with what's there in the movie and then what's out on the commercial release, it's good, but it's does, it doesn't really stand out at all. Um, So those are two, you know, huge ones for me. So I enjoy it. I, I think it's a solid movie. I was really pleasantly surprised by how well I think it holds up and, uh, and, you know, it was, it was fun to re-examine it again because I, I remember the last time I watched it just thinking, eh, you know, I don't like this as much as I used to. But watching it again, after, you know, all these years with fresh eyes, I yeah, I did. I really dug it again. But it's, you know, it has its issues. It has its its problems. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's a really solid movie. So, yeah, solid Jaws 2. All right. Mr. Pascarella, you are next. Well, like I said, I have I haven't seen this movie in over thirty years, which makes me feel really old, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it it's not my favorite movie, but this is how I misremembered this movie. Like I said, seeing it over thirty years ago, I thought Felix was killed in the movie. To be blunt, and when I watched this and realized he wasn't, I I, I don't know what was wrong with me. Um, I didn't have uh, a problem with the revenge trip the way, you know, it was. I didn't need even, you know, Felix getting married and the wife being killed. I could have seen this enough, you know, that they were close enough over the years that something like this just happened to Felix alone. I could possibly see Bond going on a revenge trip. Um... Also, with our other watching project, when uh, he, he resigned and M tells him, you know, this isn't a country club. I was thinking he's on his way to the village, frankly. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had similar thoughts, actually. <laughs> um, 
some of the goofiness disturbed me. Uh, the truck business, I can't get past it because, you know, I'm very big into car chases, uh, as I've noted repeatedly in the past. But, you know, overall, I thought it was a good picture. I like that we, you know, Q, despite his constant complaining about Bond deep down, he, you know, they, they both, they really do care for each other. And he was willing to, you know, put his neck on the line to help Bond out. Um, all those factors. Oh, and also that Bond, you know, screwed things up by going rogue where he botched into the whole Hong Kong uh, police operation that was trying to infiltrate the whole drug thing. And uh, mm. my final thought on the movie is, you know, if you're going to put that kind of money into a drug lab that hides drugs and gasoline, you might want to go the extra way and pay for the fire suppression system. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. But all that taken into account, you know, it's not my favorite. I don't hate it. I rate it a solid Jaws 3. All right. Jeff? I would rather watch a unrestored episode of Sheriff Lobo. Hey, Sheriff Lobo's great. <laughs> <laughs> I only thought of that because of your icon, David. Uh, I think... <laughs> I... I uh, 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 to me, Claude Akins will always be uh, General Aldo. Um, <laughs> that said, uh, I I don't know how to rank this much lower than I do. And the more that we've talked about it, particularly the areas in which we disagree, uh, makes me even madder that they miss such a golden opportunity with such a great actor as Bond to do this same story in a serious way. And, and you get into the director, director of photography, screen screenplay, and, and that all rests on the producers because they could have fired somebody at any point or told them to toe the line or something like that. And then when you listen to that unused Clapton version of the Bond theme, you realize the direction atmospherically, mood-wise, where this could have gone. And we could be sitting here arguing over whether this is one of the best Bond movies ever instead of one of the most insipid. And, 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 I, and, I, get, and I get all frustrated all over again, man. I was frustrated when I wa- walked out of the movie theater. This was not the first one where I could admit that, though, because I did go back and see it again. And, and then when I saw it the second time, I was able to admit it. Like these days, I could admit it a lot quicker if I, didn't, if I saw a Bond movie and I'm like, ah. That's pretty bad. I could admit that now. Um, in those days, my love of Bond probably stopped me from saying it right away. I got no problem saying it now. Um, what's the lowest Jaws score I can give? And so what would be one above that? that? Jaws 4 is the lowest. All right. So we're, we're like Jaws 3 and a half here. Okay. Brian? Well, you know, like, like I said, um, the first time I watched it, I, I, I didn't care for it. And I didn't see it when it first came out. It was like a couple weeks out that I actually went and saw it. And, you know, I kind of had suspicions since I'd heard it was going off formula. And, you know, now, of course, I've enjoyed it a lot more. I was sitting there thinking about what, you know, what the thing was. And it really was the formula that I was missing back then. Because uh, within weeks after seeing it, um, 
the the series James Bond Permission to Die by Mike Grell came out and that had the formula from page one. It just was everything that you were wanting to see in, in a movie like this. And it gave it to you right there. And and Grell's even been told it's the best Bond movie that's never been made. Um so I sit there and I keep thinking about this one and how much more I like it now than I did then because I'm not so, you know, beholden to the formula. But at the same time, while it didn't necessarily mean the formula, it's kind of just like the formula, but out of order. Because you still got, you know, you're meeting with M and he tells him not to do it. You got Q and Q giving his, his weapons analysis and all that. And you just had to sit there and follow the revenge story rather than, you know, the evil world, uh, uh, you know, world beater or whatever. So, I, again, I, 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 you know, watching it again, I like it. I'm going to give it a strong Joss three. But when I was younger, I would have given it a four, definitely. Okay, so my opinion over this, of this movie hasn't dramatically changed over the years. When I saw it originally, I kind of thought it was okay Bond. I still think it's okay Bond. My biggest problem with it is it could have been great Bond. Uh, I liked it more than Jeff. I liked it less than Scott. And... Uh, you know, ultimately to me, it's probably a weak Jaws 2 because I can rewatch it without any problem. So I, I it, you know, I can, I, I don't have any problem with that. It does have rewatchability. I, I tried to go with Scott's theories and, and, uh, you know, what, what's a quotable line in this? And I, <laughs> I'm racking my brain and I'm coming up with, uh, I'll see you in hell, Sanchez. <laughs> uh, Launder it. That's yeah, the only memorable line I got. Yeah, there's, there's, I don't think there's anything. Uh, my biggest problem with this movie is I just think it could have been so much better if, if it had been focused more. Um, but overall, you know, it's still got a level of enjoyment for me. I don't think it was a bad movie. I just think it could have been a great movie. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say it's a low Jaws 2 for me. And, you know, that's, you know, that's it's disappointing for Bond because I always want Bond to be higher. But, you know, this is what we got. Uh, and it's disappointing that this is the end for uh, Timothy Dalton, and uh, and we're not going to get to see what you know what he would have done going forward. But you know, next time around, we're going to see what Piers Brosnan does with the role, and uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, our group back again to do it then. So thanks, guys, for everybody for coming on. I appreciate all the time, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.